This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you're listening to episode 35 of the audio guide to Babylon 5, Hunter, Prey. And yes, that is Hunter, comma, Prey. Very important to get the punctuation correct in these Babylon 5 titles, I find. And there's a sequel episode later on called Hunter, Prey, Love. <laughs> uh, I just wondered if it was like somebody's name. He's, his name is actually Prey Hunter. So Hunter, comma, Prey, because we're just filing this episode um, based on last name. That was my thought. Uh, I love punctuation in a, in a good title. And, and punctuation jokes are just wonderful radio, aren't they? <laughs> I think so. And really, <laughs> right now, that's what matters. Uh, once again, this was an episode that I did not remember at all. Last time, Chip, you mentioned that you have seen this story more than probably any other. And I'm thinking uh. I've seen it less because I had nothing, not even once it got started, did I have any idea where this one was going. So it was kind of exciting to me watching uh, as if for the first time, almost all of the way through. I was joking with our friend and occasional guest host and uh, co frequent co-conspirator Jason Snell that we need to release this episode multiple times in the podcast feed because this was the most <laughs> rerun episode of Babylon 5 during the um, during the syndicated years when it was first uh, being on. I, I saw this episode so bloody much during that single year and i think it even got rerun once in the third season it uh so yeah uh, <laughs> dear listeners if uh you see it uh, show up multiple times in your podcast feeds uh it's a homage <laughs> there you go now we're now we're right. covered ahead for any possible podcast glitch that's smart thinking chip <laughs> very smart well if this happens to be the very first Babylon 5 episode that you are jumping in with us, um, first of all, welcome. And here is what you need to know. The command staff of Babylon 5 are not only in charge of a five-mile-long space station filled with myriad alien races, they are also part of a secret group within Earth's military trying to prove that the late Earth President Santiago was assassinated, quite possibly by his successor, President Clark, who conveniently departed the President's spaceship due to an illness one day before it exploded. Among the many alien races of Babylon 5 are the Vorlons, about which we know next to nothing. No one has ever seen the cryptic Vorlon ambassador Kosh outside his encounter suit, though Captain Sheridan did once hear Kosh speak to him in a dream while he was being held captive off station. And that brings us to Hunter, Prey, in which President Clark's intelligence officers swoop into Babylon 5, tracking a dangerous fugitive, Clark's personal physician, Dr. Jacobs. They have orders to shoot him at the slightest hint of resistance. But it turns out he is not a traitor, but he does have evidence that Clark was not ill when he left Earth Force 1. Garibaldi and Franklin must hunt for Jacobs in Down Below, while Sheridan and Ivanova do some tap dancing to keep the intelligence officers barking up the wrong tree. At the same time, Sheridan decides to make Ambassador Kosh his personal project. He does speak with Kosh more than anybody else ever has, but that doesn't get him to agree to an exchange of information as he tries. Instead, Kosh says he will teach Sheridan about himself until he's ready to fight legends. Though in the end, Kosh also agrees to hide Dr. Jacobs on his ship so the intelligence officers don't find him. Oh, and apparently Kosh's ship is alive, conscious and aware. And 
it sings. Neat. So that is Hunter Prey. Chip, you have seen it a, a zillion times. So why don't you give us uh, what your feeling is on the story and whether or not you feel that that feeling is uh, affected by how many times you had to watch this darn thing. <laughs> I, I mean, it ha- and it has been years, but it was like it was just yesterday. Um, I like this episode. Um, I think it is a well-done episode that has a good story and Really good casting, uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, we, we tend to belittle a bit uh, Babylon 5's ability to get top caliber uh, bit parts in. Babylon 5 was a cheaply made show. Um, it was filmed, I believe, in a warehouse somewhere in Slovakia or something like that. <laughs> I, you know, so... But uh, this time around, um, you, we have some interesting uh, minor characters uh, with some actors who are making some interesting choices uh, along the way. Richard Mall with lots more hair than he had on Night Court. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot. It, 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 it's fun, and I like the way it advances the um, assassination arc um, uh, very, very, ni- very nicely. He said redundantly, redundantly. <laughs> Shannon, what about you? What is your overall feeling on Hunter Prey? I think Hunter Prey is a very solid episode. Um, I think more than most uh, episodes we've seen so far, this one is like not only in the continuity, it's like enmeshed in the continuity. We get callbacks to several episodes that have already happened. There is stuff in here that moves plots along uh, for what's going to come. And... Uh, it does so in fairly, fairly suspenseful fashion. I mean, I was it had been a while since I'd seen it. And even though I knew um, everything turned out okay for um, our illustrious crew in the end, you know, it was still kind of like, you know, exactly how are they going to do it? What's going to happen next? Um, so I was still paying close attention uh, to uh, pick it all up again. I, I agree. Uh, I also like how many character bits uh, this episode manages to work in. The scene between Franklin and Garibaldi, where they're chowing down on some neutral grain bars. And <laughs> <laughs> that Garibaldi couldn't even get the wrapper open. <laughs> yeah. But um, between, between Garibaldi and Franklin, um, some really nice stuff there. The Kosh and Sheridan stuff is really, really interesting. And those are those are those are some highlights. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into the presidential assassination plot, which uh, which definitely thickened quite a bit in in this episode. You know, we've had back and forth throughout the the series of of Babylon Five. We get some you know arc heavy and then arc not heavy. This is uh, Shannon put you put it really well, saying that this is just enmeshed in the continuity of the show and both of the the plots end up kind of tying together um but we'll take the uh the overtly presidential assassination one first what did you guys think of of how this is playing out were you surprised or did this seem like a natural progression of of the way things were moving shannon how about you i kind of, i kind of think it does um it it feels right uh to have what we assume now um that we've got more evidence laid before us that this you know assassination was planned and Clark knew exactly what was coming, exactly what was going, what he was going to do, um, and then something small like forgetting. Oh yeah, a doctor. A doctor <laughs> saw me recently. It, it, it feels like the kind of slip through the cracks mistake that 
you know, somebody with a master plan would make. So it, it seemed to make sense. And the character of Jacobs really fit in with that same style. This is just, you know, th- this poor schmuck, good doctor, good teacher, rose in the ranks. And, you know, all of a sudden he realizes what he knows and he's trying to cut and run for it. And he has no clue how to do it. You know, <laughs> yeah. once he's off, once he's off base, he's just like walking up to, you know, somebody, I need an identity card, I'll pay anything and spooks the guy off. You know, bless it's kind his of heart. adorable. <laughs> yeah, kinda, yeah, exactly. kinda, yeah. He's 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 so not he, he he's so not a person on the run figure. He's in no way experienced with the underworld, and that's exactly where he has to be. And he tries and he fails miserably <laughs> to get uh, to get resources to line them up for himself quietly because he's got desperation written all over his face. He's leaving recordings for Mary, who is presumably his spouse or his daughter or whatever. But this is not his world, and he's not going to last long in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, I, I think that's a neat take on the character. Um, and uh, I think he does a really good job in the role. He seems kind of hapless, and that's the point. I agree. I think that he is a this is this is a, a good bit of casting. I think he did a great job of, of selling that um, sort of befuddled, you know, good guy kind of thing. Does anybody else feel like it was a little convenient that this is yet another doctor that Dr. Franklin happens to know? I mean, it's it's starting to make me think that Earth is a really small planet because everybody important um, not only knows Dr. Franklin, but he knows him well enough to recognize the watch that he got from the office of the president, even though he works for the president now and he was a teacher before. I was a little confused by that. Does that stand out for anybody else? Maybe a touch, but isn't the only other time so far infection that we've had that? Or was there, has there been another instance that I'm forgetting? I feel um, like there was something else, but I can't pull it to When mind. Franklin came on in his first episode, he mentions uh, talking to uh, Dr. Kyle, the doctor from The Gathering. I think that's the oh. only other reference that mm-hmm. I recall. Okay. Yeah. I mean, possibly it's because they, they did reference infection, uh, you know, fairly yes. heavily at least once in the episode. Beautifully. I be. loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's possibly maybe where the idea that Franklin knows everybody is coming from. But, you know, it still seemed plausible. You know, Stephen went to medical school. He went to Harvard and Jacobs was teaching there at the time. And then they went their separate ways. But it sounds like Stephen kept up with what was going on with Jacobs that he that he cared enough um, to sort of keep track and therefore might realize um, that th- that the watch was something, you know, maybe it was a typical gift for um, for people on staff there. I don't know, um, but they they needed some way to start um, landing. <laughs> start. I'm sorry. They needed a way to start following the trail. Very yeah, true. Although I- although if our junk dealer. Let's call him Watto. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if Richard Mall's dude character was able to see notice the office of the president inscription on the watch, you'd think the junk dealer woulda. Yeah. Yeah, and, I just feel and, like everything and that would be that would that would be seriously hot merchandise, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I feel like the whole thing around the watch was, for me, I think the only part of this story that felt a little bit clunky and convenient. Everything else was fine. I mean, I guess I didn't really have a problem with Doctor Franklin knowing him. I think it was just knowing him well enough to be able to recognize a specific pocket watch from across the hall on in down below. That was just that was 
maybe a step too mm-hmm. far. Um, but speaking of uh, yeah. Richard Mall and the in the pocket watch, uh, like you said, Chip, he has a lot more hair than we are used to seeing him <laughs> on Night Court. Uh, I know that he has and a mustache. A I think yeah. that uh, I think the mustache was there specifically for twirling. I'm not going to say that this is one of my <laughs> one of my favorite. Uh, guest stars i mean i think richard mall is a good is a good actor i've seen him in other things than night court but i think i don't know if it was his choices or the direction here but i just i thought he was just too big and too over the top and too goofy what did you guys think was it all right or well i wasn't about to say over the top but there was there was a certain there was a certain steadiness to his sneering pretty constant level there it's a not not a huge amount of tonality up or down but uh, you know, not that the role allowed for a whole lot of it, but I'm going to confess yeah. something. I had those <laughs> god awful sunglasses when I was <laughs> in high school. Oh no! <laughs> oh wow! Those were, you know, as Robin Williams once said, "Those are the Popeye years." We don't talk about the Popeye years, <laughs> um, but uh, I like Richard Mall. And I liked him pretty well in this role, actually. I, th- I think I actually liked him a fair bit. I think the it, my issue is there's not perfect harmony between sort of the level of Richard Maul's acting, which is kind of big, and the fact that his character, whose name I'm completely blanking on, let's just call him Thug. I think um, it was Max. Max. Max, yes, Max. Max, Max is a low-level thug. He's not particularly clever. He's just kind of mean and imposing. He's the kind of guy who puts on awful sunglasses and tries to sell a data crystal that is likely, honestly, to get him killed Mm -hmm. um, if he really thought about it. So we've got a a larger-than-life actor, literally, playing (laughs) a not-so-large role, and it may be just a little bit outsized. Uh, but you, you put that aside, and I thought he, I, I thought he did a really good job. You know, he, he's just he's just big. He's present, and I liked that. I guess he was, he did what he was doing well. I just didn't like the choice that they made to have him have him play it that way. But it seems like it seems like every episode of Babylon Five almost at this point has to have something that's kind of goofy in it, and that was that was it for this one. That um, and the sunglasses. And the sunglasses. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, something that I that I did like quite a bit more was all of the nifty cloak and dagger kind of stuff with with Sheridan. You know, he's wandering down the hall with Garibaldi, and suddenly he sees a little bit of red ribbon tied up at the side of the corridor, and then he has to go and you know flash a flashlight to meet his co-conspirator. And she, you know, while well, she was perhaps a little bit uh, a little bit over dramatic. Um, I still like, yes, I like the idea of him, you know, having these secret meetings and then having to pass information along secretly and Garibaldi sending the happy birthday message to Dr. Franklin Mm -hmm. with, you know, just writing on the screen in one frame. So all of that kind of stuff really, really floated my boat. And I I liked it because, you know, we, we knew at this point that they are part of this conspiracy. And now I feel like they're part of a conspiracy. Before I knew it with my brain, now I kind of feel it in my gut a little bit more. How did that play out for, for you guys? Chip, what'd you think? Uh, I agree. This is the first time, I think, in the series when we actually see them doing stuff. You know, I think the last time the conspiracy really came up, they're all in Sheridan's quarters in their civvies and uh, not their skivvies. That would be a different kind of meeting. And they're uh, and, and 
And they're just preparing. They're making commitments to each other that, yeah, we need to try to do something about this, and then that's it. But now they're actually doing something. And this is really the first time that they are actively working against elements of their government. Mm-hmm. This is happening yeah. This is happening for, for, for the first time. Um, and I really like the box that Sheridan is put in in this episode in that the security forces come in and – they say that Jake, Dr. Jacobs has done something really bad, and we need to take him down. Sheridan is visibly unsettled by the notion of extreme sanction on a civilian. But, you know, this is what we got to do. And then, after they set everything in more motion, and they're sending Zach Allen and the rest of the crews out, and they've got their Jacobs detectors, and, you know, <laughs> it, it looks it looks <laughs> obvious that they're going to get their guy because there's nowhere that Jacobs can really run. That's when he finds out that, oh, you mean that I've got to get this guy past my own security people. I've got to work against my own people. And he's uncomfortable about this. Garibaldi's Garibaldi uncomfortable is. about this. You mm-hmm. know, it's 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 a it's a it's a tight little box and Sheridan doesn't like it, and he has words with his contact about it, and justifiably so. And she just doesn't care. He's he's just got to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Shannon, what about you? How do you, how do you land on cloak and dagger stuff? Overall, love it. You know, I'm I, I'm the kind of person that you know I love it when a plan comes together and and things start clicking. <laughs> dun, so dun, you know, dun, seeing them work with each dun, other dun, and um, start planning things. Um, not only Garibaldi and Franklin. Um, communicating with one another, uh, Sheridan meeting with uh, his contact from the general, but Sheridan also um, managing in front of Cranston to clue in Ivanova that, you know, I've, I've, I've got a way to distract him and, you know, having to lead her into it until she figures out what he's talking about and, uh, and delaying uh, all the security for hours and hours, uh, things like that. Uh, really helped me. Uh, Sheridan, um, when Franklin calls him in, you know, Sheridan leaving Ivanova to answer all the questions and giving Ivanova one little moment to shine <laughs> as she tells him that, you know, A, we don't know, B, we don't know, it's going to take hours and, you know, and you're just going to have to like it. And then so, she does kind of tell him off a, a little bit at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. Yeah. I also, I, I like the um, sort of the ups and downs in the relationship between uh, Sheridan and Cranston. They're not quite best buddies, but Cranston, um, when when Sheridan tricks uh, Cranston into searching out downtown, which is a stupid name, and, and Ivanova <laughs> rightly calls him on it. I love that. Um, oh, but doesn't doesn't it seem like the kind of name that Sheridan would just come up with on the fly because he's just that that guy? He's just that cornball, really. Yes. Yep, <laughs> yeah. he is. Yeah, but uh, Cranston like re- respects him and uh, appreciates the help and a great idea and you know things like that. And then when I-, I love the callbacks to previous episodes in this, not just the um, Garibaldi's cutting remark about uh, Franklin's habit of trusting untrustworthy doctors, <laughs> uh, but also the um, internal scanning stuff. That they've done a couple of times in the series up to this point, and that's when Cranston flips and says, "Why didn't you tell me you could do this before?" You know, he's you basically didn't ask. you didn't <laughs> ask, but he's basically accusing Sheridan of incompetence. Um, mm-hmm. 
And towards the end of the episode, um, when they um, get Kasha's ship out, he's on the verge of accusing Sheridan of worse. I, I like the ups and downs in that relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And actually, speaking of Cranston, uh, Bernie Casey, the actor playing him, that was this was one of those, where do I know that guy from? And he was in uh, yep. Never Say Never Again, a James Bond film, uh, which, which is where he I recognize also- him from. And he was also you in Jefferson in Revenge of the Nerds, the <laughs> head of the fraternity that the nerds joined. That's what was driving me crazy because I was thinking, Firefly, no, that's too new. I thought and that too. Just tried to name a, yeah, the first time he came in, and I kept thinking, who you know, who do I know this from? Uh, who mm-hmm. who do I know this guy from? And, um, and next I, next thing you're going to tell me is that he was on Murder She Wrote or something. <laughs> Actually, ding 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 ding. <laughs> That is always yes. a pretty safe, yes, he was. safe guess. Um, I thought yes. that he was. I thought that he was quite good up until the point where he started getting touchy with with Captain Sheridan. Specifically uh, at the end when he's getting tough about scanning Kasha's ship. I just, I don't know. The acting didn't quite work for me anymore at that point. But up until then, I thought that he was uh, an excellent sort of. I mean, he's not exactly a villain, but he's he's somebody that is an antagonist, uh, even though he doesn't realize it at the time. So I thought he was good. Up until then, and then when he tried to be like more of a, you know, foaming at the mouth heavy, that didn't work so so well. Yeah, he he'd so established the um the suit persona mm-hmm. that yeah, having him go beyond that really yeah he he was fine as long as he was in charge of his little fiefdom. But you know the minute he had to go up off, off script, it seemed like um the actor was having a little more trouble with um finding where this guy would go in that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, do you guys have anything else to say about that sort of side of the plot uh, before we move on to the Kosh part? Um, just again, I like I liked Garibaldi in this one a lot, and Franklin too. Yeah, uh, they're 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 a great double act here. I love Franklin's dry gallows humor when Garibaldi shows off his flawless disguise. Which is a fedora. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and Franklin asks if why he why his life is flashing before his eyes. <laughs> um, uh, they they've got really they've got really good chemistry in this episode. I like the exposition as they're waiting for the pocket watch to show up when they're talking about sort of the state of things on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, we get a, a nice little bit of backstory, uh, sort of. Referencing before uh, the Dilgar War that came up in Death Walker and a couple other places when Earth was really full of itself. And uh, I guess an earlier draft of the script might have specifically called out when everything started going wrong for us with the Minbari, but there's really no place for that. Um, it, somebody watching this episode for the first time doesn't need to hear that word or have any of that complication. But I love the thought about... Uh, of portraying human society, Earth Earth Force society, as having lost its optimism, uh, and I really like that. Um, and in the end, when Garibaldi takes down Max, who, in further demonstration that Max really isn't all that, who, who <laughs> you know, he's all hat and no cattle, Garibaldi just scares the fool out of him by shooting erratically around him <laughs> and max just gives up and that's just beautiful that's just beautiful. no it's no comp it's no overwrought yeah you know 
Franklin gets the Kirk two-handed fist punch to the back of somebody's <laughs> neck here. True. Yeah, Stephen can fight. St- Stephen well, can fight. <laughs> what killed me about that is not only did we see that Stephen has a is a little bit able to fight and take care of himself, the second the guy's down, he's turning around and looking at Garibaldi's wound because that is the most important thing at that point is to make sure Garibaldi's okay. Because he's a doctor. it's not a serious wound because he's a doctor. I loved that bit. Yeah, that is great. But Garibaldi? He just intimidates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all that you need. And that's all that the script does. And that's the, the story's so much the better for it. I agree. And yeah, I really do like the two of them um, together that, you know, I, I go back and forth depending on which episode it is talking about the way they convey past information about this world. And I think this is that is a scene that you were talking about that, that really works for me. Uh, the talking about the past and and information it's yes it's technically some of it information that both of those characters have but not entirely and they start out talking about you know gary baldy doesn't know about franklin's history with the doctors so so it's it's just framed really really elegantly and i appreciate learning more about the world of babylon 5 from nice scenes like that that don't feel like info dumps so bravo all right. Well, I guess it's time to uh, to turn to the more cryptic side of this episode. Uh, Stephen cryptic? was no, <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, it just it cracks Not me up long. so much how riled up Stephen gets by Kosh. <laughs> Every Real. time, every time he's on screen, Stephen swears at him. I'm not even joking. Every time. Because well, you know, this is the moment that I, I, I've, I've got to ask you this question, oh, moderatress. Um, this episode, Sheridan says, what I've got to believe that Stephen, your husband, our mm-hmm. control group, has been thinking all along. He's done nothing back there but be all, you know, mysterious Mm-hmm. We don't know anything really more about him than we than we knew at the start of the se- of the series. Sheridan decides it's time we found out, and I was just I just got to know. Did Stephen go? You're damn right. <laughs> he didn't say anything out loud, but I could feel the approval sort of washing off of him. And I think he didn't say anything like that because I don't know that he has any hope. That that's actually something that's going to happen, but he definitely feels for for Captain Sheridan and, and wanting to know because he just he's annoyed by all of that nonsense <laughs> and the mumbo jumbo and the cryptic mutterings of, of two lines apiece. So he was very uh, I think he was happy to see Sheridan trying to uh, to knock that down, but he was still swearing at Kosh by the end of the episode. <laughs> I don't see why. I mean, we resolved so Kosh much. Helped. <laughs> but Kosh helped. <laughs> uh, he did and actually that was one thing that that steven mentioned um that he was very surprised like he's like it's very interesting that kosh by the end of this is just like yeah sure i'll do you a solid and and let you let you use my ship um so i you know some motion at least has been taken there but i think well, we, uh, we knew though we knew this was going to happen i mean the in the first part before the credits i'd give a year's pay to look inside you knew someone was going to be inside that ship before the end of the episode yep absolutely <laughs> um you know i think that this uh 
I I don't know. It's just it, it's it makes me laugh thinking of of Sheridan. You know, he's still you know fairly newish, and then just deciding this is going to be his pet project. He's going to take the one weirdest character and be like, I got to figure this out, which makes complete sense because you know we've we've seen him. Kosh has spoken to him in his dream, so of course he's going to going to go down that road. I just found myself amused at the way that it played itself out, and that yes, he got to talk to Kosh a lot more than anybody else has. But nothing Kosh said made any more sense than anything else. How did you guys feel no, about that, no, that, that exchange? That's that's true. I mean, uh, Sheridan has decided that he is going to accomplish what, as far as we can tell, Sinclair never did. You know, um, Sinclair had just a couple of conversations that I really recall with Kosh, uh, you know, at the beginning of the series, trying to get Kosh to come to a council meeting. And at the end, when Kosh shows up in the Zocalo of all places to uh, tell uh, Sinclair that he's forgotten something. So, per Sheridan, because I'm not sure that this is really all that well reflected in the episodes that we've seen this season. Per Sheridan, Kosh has suddenly started showing up at council meetings. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kosh, of course, did show up in uh, Sheridan's dream. So, Sheridan's like, okay. And I'm not as patient, I guess, as this Sinclair guy. I'm going to find out. And it's just like this brick wall of incomprehensibility. But at the end of this episode, Kosh does involve himself in the plot. He involves himself in Earth Force. He's never done this before. Um, we The only other time that we've seen him like take an active role in matters in this series, he blew up Deathwalker's ship. And he got into an off-screen tussle with the space mob. That's it. So, I so this is kind of this is kind of different. Mm-hmm. Shannon, what do you think about the uh, the whole Kosh thing? I think it's kind of a neat bit of writing uh, or or interaction because. On the one hand, yes, it's you know Vorlong cryptic, Vorlong cryptic, Vorlong cryptic, but even before. Kosh consents to let his ship be used to hide Jacobs. At the end of his last conversation with Sheridan, it still feels like something that we've moved forward a tiny bit. There's like a little bit of understanding going on here now that it feels like that Kosh is going to let this uh, relationship grow, that he's he's going to keep interacting with Sheridan. So that's progress, even though, you know, like like you said, there's nothing in his speech nothing in his in what he says indicates anything more than vorlons being vorlon brick walls it still kind of feels somehow that they've arrived at an understanding and they're going to be able to go forward somehow we, we don't know how but it kind of feels like but it. under kasha's terms and i, I, I that is well, a nice yeah, little reversal a <laughs> it's a nice little reversal that sheridan's like okay i'm going to find out more about you and you know kasha's like maybe and then Kosh is like, no. And then Kosh wanders away. And Sheridan gets a little hot under the... Well, he, his pride's wounded a little bit. I don't know. But he keeps asking, you know... He's frustrated. He's frustrated. Mm-hmm. And he keeps asking Kosh what he wants. And Kosh isn't a fan of that question. And uh, But then Kosh says, you know, I will prepare you to fight legends. You know, so... Sheridan comes into this interchange with a goal, and he comes out of it with a goal having been applied to him. 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. and and I I imagine that would be the point where Stephen starts cursing at the screen again. <laughs> you know, I thought it was <laughs> it was funny too that Kosh kept saying things to the effect of "you do not understand" or "are not ready." I mean, I. I kind of felt, I mean, it's hard to tell what the heck Kosh is thinking, but I almost felt like there was frustration on both sides. Like they're both trying to get to someplace in the middle and neither one of them is really understanding what the other one is saying. Or or maybe Kosh does understand Sheridan, but just recognizes that Sheridan is not understanding him. And it's just, yeah, I almost picture him, you know, shaking his head inside that encounter suit being like, uh, no. So I, I I look forward to seeing seeing more of of this. Uh, I, I want to see how uh, how Sheridan follows this up. I'm excited. All right. Well, anything else to cover in our uh, in our pre spoiler section? I've got. I guess I've got a parting shot about this episode. Is that um, you said earlier that this is? I think both of you said that this episode is propelled by the arc. And I think this may actually be the first one that is really arc propelled, um, that it that it almost completely follows up on things that happened in the past. Uh, it depends on the presidential assassination and it depends on the fact that Sheridan is actually putting together a small secret conspiracy to try to uncover the truth and this episode, although I think it establishes what happened before very well, but this episode is not possible in season one. It is not possible in season two. The Coming of Shadows um, it, it is a big turning point kind of thing, but it's, a, it's an episode that's all about change. This is an episode that's all about the next development. And this may be the first one that really is about the next development. Very true. Shannon, any uh, any last words from you? A couple of things. Um, we mentioned already how it feels like something started with Sheridan and Kosh, like really started. Um, I also noticed several lines that made me think that Garibaldi is finally like really on board with Sheridan um, in a way that, you know, is much different than what we saw in um, Points of Departure where he was like, I don't know this guy, I don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, um, this is this is Sheridan, he'll have a plan. Or, you know, this is Sheridan, he'll have our backs. Um, there was a whole lot more of Garibaldi vocalizing that he considers Sheridan somebody he can trust now. And respect, and I don't know yeah. If the, and respect. And I don't know if the difference might have been when Sheridan brought him as well as Ivanova and Franklin on board to say... This is what's happening with EarthGov. This is something I am trying to do, and um, I need your help. That's a I, really I good that, point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I had point. not thought about it that way. I just thought, you know, at some point, you know, during the passage of time, Garibaldi. No, Garibaldi trusts Sheridan because Sheridan has, and and, and previ- earlier in this season, he express, you know, well, how much do we really know about this guy? You know, he, he mm-hmm. even after he's fully back in the saddle he's still um holding his right reserving his judgment but yeah yeah he he's got a plan i just uh, he's got a plan i can see it you know he he's 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 enjoying this he's enjoying sheridan yeah yeah so that was one thing that leapt out at me through several uh lines of dialogue in the episode 
And I think the only other thing I can think of at the moment is um, another tip of the hat to um, the continuation of casting uh, minorities and women in Mm -hmm. authoritarian roles. We've got Cranston leading the investigation uh, looking for Jacobs, and we've got our woman from General Haig, who is obviously um, a pivotal person if she can be a go-between between those two. Never the mind that she left her little bug thing behind that was going to generate signals. But mm-hmm. I noticed <laughs> but we'll, that too. We'll put that. We'll put that down to director sloppiness. <laughs> yeah, uh. and uh, and this diversity, uh, as we've said before, it's no super big deal in 2015, perhaps. But 20 years ago, it's still you know you had to be conscious in your casting. Um, you had to be really conscious, otherwise you'd get the same folks you'd always get. Definitely. Well, I will. I will close out this part by just uh, giving Stevens wrap up. He, uh, you know, I asked him afterwards. Actually, no, I didn't even need to ask him uh, what he thought of it because as soon as the episode ended and the credits started, he just said that was good. I like that one. Like he volunteered that information immediately. So I think I think we're on a in spite of swearing at the Vorla. Yeah, yes. And I don't think the swearing at I don't think that the swearing at the Vorla is necessarily all a bad thing. I think the fact that he is that emotionally invested is probably it speaks well for the writing of Kosh. He's gotten under his skin a little bit. and, you know, so I asked, you know, what was it that you liked about it? And he just said, he's like, I I like it when they have two storylines that are good. And then I laughed. Um, but mm-hmm. but he said that they weren't independent of one another. He liked that they were two solid storylines and that they wove together at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he tied the Kosh mm-hmm. thing with the Jacobs thing. And and he quite liked that. However, um, when it came to the ships, uh, the Vorlon ships that are alive and stuff, he was just like, are they space whales? Is that what they are? Please ask that question when you're recording. I was like, sure, dear. I will ask. I I don't think they're space whales. <sighs> yeah. This is what I live with, you guys. Okay. Well, that, that wraps it up for the non-spoilery section of this episode of the podcast. Um, I'll give you your homework in a second. But before we think about that, please think about coming to visit us on the website at b5audioguide.com. We have threads that are both spoilery and spoiler non E, uh, spoiler phobie, spoiler phobic. Yeah, that works. Anyway, you can talk about Babylon 5 to your heart's content and not have to worry about spoilers or go into the entire series if you want. There's some awesome conversations going on there already. So I really invest, invite you to come and investigate. Check it out. Uh, we are also on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide, and we love to hear from you. Now for next time, your homework is the episode "They're All Honor Lies," so please check that out before our before our next gig. Um, and if you don't want to be spoiled, please step out now, and we will step through the jump gate. Phew. I was getting I was getting tired of tap dancing around Kosh because, like, it's like, how much can I say about him <sighs> without we... going too far? <laughs> If Stephen does not collapse into a puddle of tears after interludes and examinations, we will have failed as Babylon 5 evangelists. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, well, he's not he's not one to uh, collapse into a puddle of tears. But if, you know, if he gets a little bit sniffly, uh, maybe I'll call that a win. I'm puddle of tears, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs>
<laughs> oh boy yes this this episode being you know just the start of so much interaction between between sheridan and kosh it's 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 hard to talk about it as if the rest of that stuff hasn't happened so i was struggling a little bit mm-hmm. um a little bit with that i it, yeah. it kind of struck me that the relationship that we get between Kosh and Sheridan, um, this is the episode where it, it kicks off and things start, you know, happening fast. I almost feel like, you know, now that we've we had to bring Sheridan in to replace uh, Michael O'Hare, and mm-hmm. we've talked before about how the transition of, you know, suddenly we need to make Delenn a love interest really, really fast. Uh, I feel like the relationship between Sheridan and Kosh is actually working a lot more smoothly as far as bringing... I feel like this is weird to say, but I feel like they've got really good chemistry on screen. Um, Not that I don't think he does with Dylan, but I, I, I feel like it's even stronger with these two. And I can't imagine the Sinclair chemistry working quite as well as it does with with Sheridan. So I kept finding myself comparing Delenn and Kosh in my mind in that very strange way. Did either one of you guys notice that at all or no, have any I, thoughts? Totally. I mean, um, it, by the end... Kosh is a father figure to Sheridan, literally in the dream sequence before Kosh dies. And I don't think it would have ever reached that level with uh, if Michael O'Hare had stayed in the role. If, if this had been Sinclair's story instead of Sheridan's story, Sinclair already carried himself as relatively enlightened. And mm-hmm. Sheridan's got more of that hero's journey kind of going on. So, you know, we've got basically Obi-Wan and Luke here. And and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked out that way. It would have I think it would have been a slower burn and I don't think it would have been anywhere near as dramatic. Sinclair and Kosh probably would have regarded each other as more or less equals going on. Kosh would have just given him information that he didn't have before. Kosh is preparing Sheridan to fight legends and Kosh, as 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 Sheridan says later on, is a legend too, and mm-hmm. I think Kosh knows that he is grooming Sheridan to not only take the ward of the shadows, but to set up the next stage of galactic evolution. If I can be so bold, <laughs> be bold, mm-hmm. be bold, <laughs> Shannon. What do you think? Um, generally agree. Yeah, uh, I think. The fact that they took a few more episodes, maybe, to start the Sheridan and Kosh relationship talking. And if I remember correctly, they sprinkled in a few bits um, towards the beginning of the season of Sheridan asking questions about Kosh. Well, you know, what about Kosh? You know, is he, you know, doing anything? And, you know, bringing it on and then kickstarting it with the dream sequence from All Alone in the Night. So I think they were able to plan a slightly better adjustment for Sheridan and Kosh than necessarily for Sheridan and Delenn, although I don't think that what they did with Sheridan and Delenn was necessarily bad. Um, that I think it, they no, did no. a pretty good job with that, too. But I think this does work better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to make, state for the record again that I am still fully on board with the uh, the Sheridan Delenn thing. <clears throat> I think that it, Represent. I think that putting yeah, putting them together <laughs> together quickly is is just fine with me. Yeah, maybe it's not quite as elegant as we would have gotten with uh, with Sinclair, but but I'm still good with it. Totally. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and the other thing, Chip, you, you subtly mentioned it before we went into spoiler space, but uh, Kosh not liking the, you know, never ask that question for when he says, what do you want? I was just, I got a little thrill and I was just like, keep it cool. Mm-hmm. Keep it cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't I telegraph. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the seeds. 
And at this mm-hmm. point in Babylon 5, there's enough space in between the episodes and there's enough space in between the arc beats that you can dribble in these little bits. It's still going to be a while before we get to the whole dichotomy between what do you want and who are you and all this other stuff. But yeah, we're just dribbling it in. And if you're paying really close attention to Signs and Portents and the fact that what do you want was the repeated question there, you know, that 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 little accidental poke with the stick that Sheridan gives is just, yeah, a little a little thrill down the spine. I was trying to figure out who the 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 one other that Kosh references mm-hmm. that that he's he's doing this or was going to do this or you know only one other has done this is that Delenn was that Sinclair although it doesn't feel like there was enough time for it to be Sinclair so as far as who he was grooming to be the people to as Chip said kickstart galactic evolution into the next stage Unless I it was don't Sinclair when he was. Phelan and Kosh is just that old. Maybe uh, I I Don't do know. not recall this an- this question ever being answered. Big Me shock! Either. Big shock! Yeah. Not e- not every <laughs> not every thread got actually tied off um, in Babylon Five. Some things did get missed. But I'm sure folks in our spoiler threads uh, will be happy to correct me if I'm wrong. It might have actually been done in one of the books. Ah, <laughs> that is a possibility. Yep. Um, yep. And one other small thing that I noticed was just that we have uh, yet another mention of stims. And not only just a mention of stims, mm-hmm. but we have a doctor using stims in circumstances that uh, require him to, to keep going for a long time. And it just every time mm-hmm. I see that, I keep thinking of the time that I first jumped into Babylon 5 uh, was was kind of in the midst of, of that plot line. So it's always stood, stood out very strongly for me. So every time I see something about stims, I kind of go... <gasps> Yeah, yeah, and and and, and mm-hmm. yeah, and Stephen's thing is is not out of left field. Um, nope. You know, it. We had Doctor Kyle in the pilot. Mm-hmm. We had Doctor Rosen admitting that that's what got her wound up getting her, uh, her disbarred. If that's the right term, I forget. <laughs> and now this one, and then uh, we're going to have a few moments with uh, Franklin, who just sort of teetering on the edge and he if i recall correctly there's a moment when he started to use a stem and then stopped and put it away and then later on he uses it again just but yeah just trying when to do you, too much when you can do this when you can do this when you've got a five-year plan to the show you you can do these things and uh, make the developments later on all the more plausible good on you jms mm-hmm yeah yeah, and that also worked for me as well as um, this was a little tiny thing, but not only Sheridan mentioning, you know, mentioning him being uncomfortable that uh, that we've got a government agency uh, going after a civilian and ready to kill him on site if that's what it takes. But Zach Allen wasn't completely happy with these events. And, you know, he and he was the one to voice it that, you know, this is a huge, you know, huge amount of work. And and not not really saying it out loud, but this is a huge amount of work for just one guy. Really, you know, are, is this necessary? Um, and I liked that. For me, that sort of poked a little bit ahead. You know, his his decision to to go into Night Watch just because everyone else was, and then him finding the strength of character to to leave it. That's a good point. That's a good point. And we're about four episodes away from Night Watch, so that'll be that'll be. Oh interesting. wow, that soon. Yeah, oh, man. yeah. I've forgotten it was that soon. Wow. Well, soon being a relative turn when we're, when we're doing a bi-weekly podcast, but yeah. <laughs> True. 
True enough. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have the whole assassination plot, you know, which which we, of course, know. Yes, it was totally a plot um, leading forward. So that oh, being the what, other big arc bit. Yeah. And what I love about this is, you know, how, how small it gets. Sheridan and his team think that it's within their it's within the realm of possibility, even though. They know that the government's going after Jacobs and they're going to disappear him, basically, if the government catches up to him. They're still thinking in terms of going public, (laughs) you know, as whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's not going to be that easy. You're going to have to effing secede from Earth, (laughs) from the Earth Alliance, you know. But at this point, at this point, they're still trying to deal with it quietly more or less within the channels you know it's a it is a big deal that they have to go against their own people um Mm -hmm. and none of them are comfortable with that it's going to get a lot more uncomfortable but you know yeah and a lot worse the the fact that you know this is the first hint of the extremes the clark regime is going to go to to stay in power um you know one civilian today that they're chasing down uh and a little bit down the road they're going to be bombing civilian targets on mars it doesn't matter who who they're killing. Yeah. So we get the first taste of that. And really, when it comes right down to it, the just the whole scope changes. Or really, it doesn't change. The scope has been much bigger all along. We just they don't know it yet. Not it's not just Earth. This the the entire galactic conflict is is really all intertwined and has has fingers on Centauri Prime and on Earth and and a little bit everywhere. And and nobody has any idea of that yet. So every time they're they're thinking about things from this very you know Babylon five centric or Earth centric position, in my head I'm just shaking my head, going, "Oh, you naive children." Oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, and, and you have just reminded me that half a season away, uh, first episode of uh, season three, uh, we're going to have uh, folks uh, from the military and from the government and from PsyCor talking at Earth Dome, and Morden's going to be in the room. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, so <laughs> so the, the the shadow war is, and I think JMS himself has said this online years ago. The shadow war is both literal, the war against the shadows, and figurative, the wars against the, uh, the, the, the subtle powers and principalities that are hidden in the government that are uh, undermining democracy and undermining the rule of law and uh, just trying to get theirs. But it's so small. This conspiracy is so teeny tiny right now. <laughs> And, and, and it, it's so cute. It's cute little conspiracy. Cute little conspiracy. <laughs> We're going to go public with this. <laughs> Who's a good conspiracy? <laughs> and I'm trying to remember whether I'm trying to remember when or whether this crops up um, as part of the revelations. Uh, if they turn it into a whisper campaign or something like that. Yeah. No, they do. They do. Uh, yeah. When when um, when they start going public with all of this stuff, uh, you know, Doctor Jacobs's testimony mm-hmm. surfaces, and that's when. Uh, President Clark starts turning the screws. Okay. And it's all downhill from there. It really mm. is. Except well, for it, us, because well, <laughs> we get a great TV yeah. show out of it. Yes, it's, it's uphill for us. Hooray! <laughs> uh, well, anything else spoiler you guys want to cover, or are, are we ready to, uh, to head off and, uh, and get ready for their all on our lives? Um, 
Oh, shout out to the to the Garibaldi fedora. The the minute he pulled it out, I immediately had the vision of Jakar when he was searching Garibaldi's room, trying to get a feel for where to start his oh, search. Oh, right! Pops it on his head so nonchalantly. <laughs> uh, I had forgotten about that. Uh, it is. A Narn and a fedora. That's about the only acceptable use of a fedora in the world now. <laughs> um, and also, this probably could have gone in pre-spoiler space since we now know who the rangers are, but we did have a glimpse of a ranger in the background um, at one point as uh, Sheridan and Garibaldi are walking past the red ribbon that signals Sheridan he needs to go meet his contact. The the guy behind them yeah, going up the uh, stairs. Garibaldi spies the... Yeah, Garibaldi spies the ranger going up the stairs. You see him in cloak and cloak and everything. So mm-hmm. I like that because uh, they have this sort of mutually sneaky moment where they both Ooh. see something that the other isn't supposed to see. <laughs> ah. And you know, I think that's that's another uh, another point in in favor of the the mutual respect that we now have between Garibaldi and Sheridan because you know they both have something. Um, that they they have trusted each other with to a certain extent, but that they still are, you know, like the Sheridan is still the one that's in in contact with General Haig and the government, and and Garibaldi is is the one on the other side who is in contact with the Rangers. But he's told Sheridan about it and said, "Hey, just trust me," and he does. So yeah, kind of like that. Which which makes what happens in season four all the more heartbreaking when mm-hmm. Garibaldi gets uh, tweaked by Psycor. And his natural distrust gets ramped up, mm-hmm. and uh, he ultimately betrays betrays Sheridan. He is horrified when Bester releases the lock and uh, allows Garibaldi to remember what he's done. Uh, but for most of season four, Garibaldi doesn't trust Sheridan, doesn't like Sheridan, uh, works against him at every opportunity, and they never really recover from that. Even in season five, uh, when uh, Garibaldi falls off the wagon, the the level of trust that they can have for each other just isn't quite there. Uh, so these are the these are the glory days. Um, uh, take a look at also uh, the uh, Mad Bomber episode of uh, of uh, season three. When uh, Sheridan and Garibaldi are plotting their strategy uh, over what to do and where, trying to figure out where Sheridan's going to hide his link and all this other stuff, it, it, it's a buddy cop movie at that point. It's it's these are the great days of the Sheridan Garibaldi relationship and uh, enjoy it while you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah, you're right. It makes the betrayal later all the more tragic, and it hit, hits me where I live. Mm-hmm. All right, well. If that is all we have for this time, then I will just say goodbye to everyone. Make sure that you get their all honor lies in before the next episode. And until next time, this is Erica and Edmonton, Shannon and Durham, and Chip and Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. <laughs>